in years to come remember what it was like to be you. <laughs> you know, so so when, when students have graduated and they've gone off and been successful, pay something back, go and teach at a local college, go and give a talk for free, offer someone some work experience, offer someone some advice. You know, just remain a part of that community because it's a lifelong community. The, the after-sales care you get from if you invest wisely in this community is fantastic. So don't graduate and then disappear. You can be part of that too. Stay active, stay, stay involved. On this episode of Design Dedux Podcast, we speak with Jonathan Baldwin. Jonathan is a senior lecturer and program leader across Glasgow's School of Art Design Innovation Program. His research interests are higher education and creative, innovative pedagogy. Jonathan has been a keynote speaker at global conferences and has previously taught at the universities of Dundee, Brighton, and Cambridge. Originally a graphic designer with aspirations of being a filmmaker with passions in Star Wars and Doctor Who, Jonathan wrote the book Visual Communication from Theory to Practice, which is a set text in universities around the world. Jonathan and I have a great conversation on design innovation and the idea of collaborative creativity. I hope you enjoy this episode. Jonathan, welcome to the Design Dedux podcast. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. It's uh, awesome to have you here. Um, For those that are listening, Jonathan reached out to me and he said he would love to uh, have a conversation with all of us. So it's great to have you here to talk about um, creating success in design education Mm -hmm. as we move into season two here and we're talking about design thinking, creativity, and again, as we talked uh, offline before we started, not saying one versus the other, one and the other, but mm-hmm. kind of opening up that conversation. Is there a relation there? Are there parallels? Are there conflicts? Sure. Um, do they work well together? Do they contradict each other? All mm-hmm. kinds of great questions on that. I know just saying the words design thinking has a lot of people like on the edge of their chair <laughs> for multiple reasons. Some people on yeah. the edge of the chair ready to defend and talk about how it works. Yeah. Yeah. And other folks are on the edge of their chair saying, well, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, design I, I, thinking's not a thing. I, I'm certainly in both camps, I think. I, I took I, a, nice, a nice middle road on that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I'm really glad you said that because I am too. Because yeah. I have moments where I'm like, yay. And then I have moments like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, so um, this season here, season two of the podcast, episode 17, um, we're going to start that conversation and how it relates to what we do as educators, mm-hmm. uh, how that brought in the classroom so on and so forth and how it works so tell us a little bit about you then so you've Mm -hmm. uh, just a a quick review from what i understand of your background you've been in teaching out of teaching in the profession out of the profession continuing all that stuff kind of at the same time sometimes but tell us a little bit about your your background and where you're at yeah um i have quite an odd route into uh, teaching and into design, in fact. So I, I was never meant to be a designer. There is an alternative universe, me, who is a, <laughs> phys- who is a physicist or a mathematician or a scientist or something like that. So um, at, at school, I was I was quite good at a lot of things, uh, but I think teachers probably had me pegged as as a future scientist or maybe a, a writer or something. But I was a big fan of science fiction. I, I, I'm part of the Star Wars generation. I queued for the first movie as a as a six year old, like is way my age. Uh, I was a big fan of Doctor Who as a child, and I just wanted to work in television. I wanted to make this stuff. Um, And so despite uh, everybody's best advice, I sort of pursued uh, a a career in in creativity, but in sort of creative disciplines. But um, 
I actually ended up being a graphic designer by accident. A friend of mine, uh, well, a, a friend of mine ended up getting the job I wanted, and I ended up getting the job that he wanted. So I, he, he's now working very successfully in television, uh, and I, and I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, but I, I never went to art school. Uh, I'm a self-taught graphic designer, and I was, I was embedded. I was an in-house designer for a, a large um, builders merchants company uh, in the UK. Um, and I, I didn't go to university, so I studied uh, part-time while working full-time with the Open University, uh, and I got my bachelor's degree in history and music, and then I started a master's degree with them in cultural studies, and I sort of accidentally fell into a teaching role uh, at a college in Reading, which is just outside London, about half an hour away on train. Um, and I started off by teaching evening classes in Dreamweaver, Flash, Photoshop. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, definitely goes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but what happened was that stu- full-time students started coming along to those evening classes, and they started reporting back to their teachers that there's this guy that teaches this great stuff, and it's great. And, and so I, before I knew it, um, 20 years ago, last September, I think, uh, I ended up being the program leader for uh, graphic design programs. Oh wow, that's uh, fantastic! Yeah, and then yeah. and then everything sort of went from went on from there. So I've worked at several universities around the UK, uh, Brighton, Dundee, Cambridge, not teaching uh, design there, um, and I'm currently at Glasgow School of Art, where I run the Master of Design program in Design Innovation. Oh, that's fantastic! Hey, I'm going to step away from our video conference screen for a minute, mm-hmm. uh, but while I do that, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what that program looks like because um me giving a quick look at the glasgow school of art um besides the website being beautiful and super attractive (laughs) there's a lot going on there so can you talk a little bit about specifically the the design curriculum uh for a minute in the graphic design uh area well well i don't teach graphic design uh so i'm in the innovation school uh yeah yeah yeah, my my apologies so how does that then you know, have that correlation with um, what the design students are working on and so on. So yeah. if you would. Um, well, the design innovation program is actually six programs. Uh, it's a, a one-year master's uh, degree. Uh, students come in and it's three semesters. In the first semester, all the students are working together and we're introducing them to innovation methods, to design methods. Um, and then in the second semester, they'll, they'll go into their specialisms and the specialisms are things like service design, interaction design, uh, environmental design, and so on. Um, and then in the third semester, they will do a specialist project. They'll, they'll, they'll do a, a personal project. Um, but, but as a design program, it's actually it, one of the really interesting things about it is that we don't require a design bachelor's degree in order to be able to take it so we do have students who are coming to us from um economics business studies we've got a psychologist we've got a physicist um we've got a real really good mix of of interests and specialisms um and so that's yeah i was just gonna say i think that's super beneficial because even Mm. in my specific graphic design courses Mm. they are open uh to the university Yes. as minors yes. you know so yes. i get a lot of students that come in from different programs yeah and it's yeah. it's amazing how much of an asset it is having 
non-designers in a design class. That's right. Yeah. I mean, um, if I, I was in um, uh, New Paltz a few years ago, uh, okay. uh, observing a class there, and there were some English majors, I think, in a in a in a type class, and I I think they were actually more liberated in the way they were approaching the type and and using the type to tell a story, using the type to to to, to sort of convey what they were trying to do in a in a poem than maybe the graphic students were. And um, I I think bringing a different insight, bringing a different lens to to any situation is always is always good, and. You know, we're talking a lot about T-shaped designers and about design thinking and about applying design skills in other fields. Uh, it's only right that we should we should reciprocate. I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, so then, what has so your background? Then, as you mentioned, you started teaching using Dreamweaver and <laughs> uh, freehand and and some of those classics. Uh, uh-huh. um, I mean, Dreamweaver's still around, but um, yes. you know, we, we all have our opinions on, on that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So then what, what kind of curved you over then into this innovation uh, aspect of design? Um, there, there were, there were an odd set of circumstances and, and I ended up at the university of Brighton with two jobs at the same time. One, which was my main job was I was working for the higher education Academy. Uh, my, one of my big interests is pedagogy. Uh, so I was, I was working on developing teaching and learning within art and design and, and media uh, a, a, across the UK, um, but to help pay the bills, because Brighton is one of the most expensive places there, there is to live in the UK, um, I was what I think you would call an adjunct uh, okay. tutor, mm-hmm. part, part, part-time tutor, um, and I was sort of roped in to fill a hole with the history and theory side of things for the graphics and illustration students. Okay. and. I've never been a big fan of um, of the sort of old fashioned approach of sort of you know death by slideshow of of dead white designers, dead white male designers. Normally, I, I sort of didn't see the yeah. real point point of it, and and the students didn't either. They would hardly attend. The grades were poor, um, but it was it was it was one of those things that people said you have to have. Um, so I secretly started turning it into a bit of a social studies program so, so looking at how design affects people in their lives and looking at the problems people face and maybe how designers maybe contribute to that but also can potentially solve that uh, Interesting, or, right. or, or, or at least help it and my my contract uh, at brighton ended after four years and i ended up being recruited to teach at dundee where they they liked the the, the, the sort of things i was doing uh, down in brighton and um, so I was, I was there for six, seven years, and I was able to sort of do the same thing there, sort of turn the, the sort of largely unpopular history and theory uh, side of the program into something which was about you know, you know, that social impact of, of, of design. Um, and so, you know, we didn't call it uh, design innovation, but, but that's sort of the this, this same sort of thing that I'm doing now uh, full time at, uh, at Glasgow. Okay. And then, uh, as I'm looking at my other monitor here, um, you know, some of the notes that, uh, you've shared with me and that I've taken Mm -hmm. that you actually have a, uh, book that you, uh, wrote, Mm -hmm. um, visual communication from theory to practice. Is that kind of where all this came together for you then? It, 
it sort of did. I mean, that that came out of some of the more popular uh, lectures uh, that I was doing with students. Um, I tried to move away from lecture-based teaching towards something which is more uh, active, okay. uh, so that the students were experiencing theory in practice. Hence the the, the title of the book. Um, so the the book came about as a way of bringing all that together and trying to explain some some key concepts from different fields in ways that I hope are interesting, maybe thought-provoking. Uh, I've tried to be controversial on a couple of occasions. And then the way the book is structured is uh, Lucien Roberts, who I don't know if you've come across uh, Lucien's work. Um, she interviewed uh, some practicing designers, uh, including some very well-known ones, um, and putting to them some of the sort of theoretical concepts to see what their responses were. And so the book is is a sort of uh, there's a chapter of me, a chapter of an interview with the designer, a chapter of me, a chapter of an interview with the designer, and it was a lot of fun to do. Uh, it's it's still in print. Um, it's quite an old book now, but it's still in print. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm resisting the urge to to update it and or, or, do, <laughs> or, or do do something new because because writing yeah, a book yeah. is is quite uh, it, it sounds great. In theory, mm-hmm. but but right. actually actually doing it is is a huge chore. It, it is. It's very daunting. Mm. Um, now, there's always that question of relevance, right? There's uh, so <laughs> many wonderful design books out there. Yeah, I think that this is a book that would be relevant just as much today as it was during its uh, creation. Would you say? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, w- I would hope so. I mean, the concepts in it, I'm, I'm, I talk about things like good design and bad design and, and try to move the conversation towards the idea that, you know, the, the judgment of good design shouldn't be aesthetic. It should be uh, whether it works or, or <laughs> you know, the impact it has on, on people's lives. Uh, it also makes the point that, you know, in terms of, of culture, we, we, we can be quite condescending about popular culture and, and not realize the richness that it brings to people's lives. Uh, the the richness and the meaning that people apply to it. Okay. Uh, so yeah. so th- those are those are the sort of theoretical concepts that don't that don't date. Um, the examples we use might do. I the, one of the examples I was using was um, Bridget Jones, uh, which was which was uh, very popular at the time. Uh, so if if I do update the yeah. book, I'll just have to come up with a new um, a new set of examples because. Uh, I, I don't know if, if you've ever encountered this, but but I've, I've been teaching now so long that I've had to change my cultural references with students. So I'll I'll talk mm-hmm. about you know Indiana Jones and they don't know who I'm talking about, or I'll talk about you know the rescuing Princess Leia from the Death Star and they've never seen Star Wars. So it's like <laughs> yeah, oh God, yeah, so, yeah, that right, makes right, you feel, makes you feel old. Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what you're you're speaking to. Yes, is the answer. Um, I've been teaching eleven years, but. Right. Apparently, it's long enough where I do have to start changing <laughs> uh-huh. those those references and examples. Yes. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's gotten to know me a little bit knows that I'm a very large Star Wars fan. Um, right. Right. Uh, oh, I've not seen the new one yet, so don't spoil it for me. Okay, you got yeah, nothing <laughs> nothing to say except for um, it was very satisfying. Good. Yeah, Good. very satisfying. Uh-huh. Um, do you have so the practice end? Can you give me an example of what the practice end that might look like? how we're taking the theory then of innovation and design and having a classroom um, put to practice moment. Um, 
Do you have a favorite? I, I, one, one of the ones that's coming up a lot in conversations at the moment uh, are, are concepts like cultural capital and social capital and trying to understand the way that people trade in social capital and cultural capital. Um, we, we do something called a design safari. And when I was at, at in fact, this started at Brighton, um, I remember trying to teach, do a lecture on concepts like like cultural capital, social capital. So this is Pierre Pierre Bourdieu. Bourdieu. My pronunciation is awful. I, oh, I have two I, I, I have two French students who, who who very kindly correct me every time I try to to, to use the names. Um, the, I wish I had that. Uh, yeah. I just I just I just uh, make a mess of everything and well, that's that, yeah. that's right. So. Um, so anyway, one of the concepts that, that he came up with was this idea of, uh, you know, why is it that museums might be free to enter, but, but the people that go to them are still sort of middle class, upper middle class, working class people tend not to go to them. And he said something along the lines of it's because they, they, they're not sure how they're supposed to behave. Now, the translation of that is not entirely encouraging. And of course, the, the students immediately resist that and see it as a patronizing comment. And it is a patronizing comment, but it is also quite true. And so I, I try to think, well, how can I demonstrate this, this to them? Um, and so what I asked them to do was, was to go and play bingo one night. Uh, so they all went along to a bingo hall. And the first time I went along as, as well with them. And they experienced it for real. They thought they knew everything. They thought they knew what this game was. They thought they knew how to play it. And it turned out that they didn't know how they were supposed to behave. They didn't know what the rules were, the social rules, not, not necessarily oh, yeah. the, the, the game rules and things like that. And then they started looking at the way the place was designed and the way that, that people sat on their own, but they might be socializing without ever talking to somebody. So it started to, to bring up these concepts for real. So that they they started to understand them rather than reject the the uncomfortable language, um, and and I continued doing this at uh, at Dundee, um, and it became a very popular part of the the, the the program, and we do that on the MDES as well. Is that instead of introducing the theory and then asking them to try it out, we we ask them to try something out and then explain later what it was they were experiencing. Mm, yeah. uh, and and so because because they tr want to know more about well why why did I feel like that or why did people sit the way they were sitting or why do people behave the way they they're, they're behaving um, you can say well it so happens that there are these sociological concepts and these help explain it uh, and so the understanding becomes a lot deeper um, and if you're trying to design for people it's really important that you understand people. Oh, very and, much. Yeah. You know, and, and so there, it's one of the reasons why I think that design really is a social science rather than a, a form of art practice. It's, it's, it's about people. It's about yeah. understanding people. It's about understanding and observing uh, people. Um, so, yeah, a lot, lots of these theories that sort of tend to be stuck in other disciplines, I think, can be borrowed from quite freely and applied to design. And you see some marvelous things as a, as a result. Yeah. That, I, you know, um, actually putting those words, uh, to that conversation on design, um, social sciences, um, is wonderful. And as soon as you said it, I'm like, that, that makes sense. Yes. How true is that? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and again, a lot of the, um, 
general ed classes when students come to me it's like oh i need i need my gen ed classes filled mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um i recommend psychology sociology yes. um yeah. ethics and different things like yeah. that yeah. um yeah. so you know it's along those same kind of theories that we're designing for people you should understand uh how people think uh, yeah through it, or I, how I, they I, how they react i mean that's been an an, uh, an underlying sort of aspect of the way i've taught design for the past 20 years is that you should never design because you just love design. You should design because you want you you love the impact that it that it has. There has a to great be a re- message. There has to be a reason why you're designing. And if you try to teach design just because it's design, it becomes a very abstract concept, and and mm-hmm. it's and it and it's more of an art form. Um, but if Agreed. you think about if you think about it as something that does have an impact on people's lives, I mean, it, it helps people decide really important things. It, it 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 can change people's behavior um it, it you know the, and there's lots of stuff that's going on in the world today which we're all complaining about but actually design is at the root of it if you, if, uh, the next time someone complains about the amount of plastic in the ocean well we're culpable as designers we're we're responsible for a lot of that and so we have to take responsibility we have to think about these things rather than just think I've, I've, I've got a nice portfolio and I've got a nice job and a nice car. I'm happy. Uh, design has an impact on people's lives and we need to understand what that is. Yeah, definitely. Um, so do you have any um, examples of then applied? Because there's theory, there's the practice. Mm-hmm. Any Any examples that you can tell us how that was applied from those courses? Is there an applied component to it? Now, again, they're not all designers. They come from all different areas well, of study. But, so, But they become designers. So that's the key is, you know, and, and it's called design innovation. And innovation is the application of creativity. And so, so the intention is that they're, they're, they're coming up with solutions. They may not mm-hmm. be solutions necessarily work. That's part of innovation is sometimes things don't work or, or it's an iterative process. So the first thing they come up with uh, doesn't work as well as maybe the next thing they might come up with or the thing after that. Um, so, you know, they're all designers. Mm-hmm. Um, and the types of thing they come up with can vary enormously. So, right. It doesn't um, have to have a physical end. No, no. I mean, some of it is conceptual. Uh, because it might be that the solution they've, they've come up with is something that they can't actually make, uh, given the the constraints of the resources or the time that they they might have, but there are lots of practical, uh, practical outcomes. We're big on prototypes, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and quick and dirty sort of messy prototypes. So so lots of paper prototyping, lots of, lots of cardboard and glue sticking out everywhere and wires sticking out everywhere. Uh, so a lot of it's not particularly pretty. But yeah. the but the ideas behind it are often um, humbling, actually, and and even if even in the sort of first semester of this of this year, so we've just finished the first semester. Um, even in the first few weeks, students were coming up with ideas uh, that I I went home and I sort of I, I had to think long and hard about about the potential impact of some of these, and I've been saying to them, mm-hmm. don't don't now now that project's finished, don't don't leave it. This is something yeah. you carry on working on, and and there are there are several ideas where I'm thinking, well, if you're not going to develop it, I will. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
so yeah, the the end product may not be pretty, but the but the but the idea is is uh, mind blowing sometimes. I appreciate that. It's great hearing it. Uh, it's reassurance uh, for myself as well. There's been several times working on projects that I I let students know as soon as we start. I'm like, this isn't going to look great, but it, no. it it's not about it looking great. It's about mm-hmm. have you thought about the problem, the situation, the the conceptual aspect of yes. you know yeah. solving that problem the empathy the people um and, yeah. well and that and that's that word concept is an interesting one because the just before we started talking i saw there's an article on the verge today about um what's being announced at ces at the moment and i've only skimmed through the article but it seems to be saying the same sort of thing i've been saying is that a lot of people are just showing off concepts but they're very polished concepts and because they, it doesn't look like they've put thought into how people might use some of this mm-hmm. stuff, the, these gadgets. They look fantastic, but they're probably going to flop if they're ever out at all, um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. They're, just, they're just impractical, they're too expensive, they don't answer a particular need, they're just a, right. a, a designer's fantasy. And uh, mm-hmm. so we're trying to move away from that sort of thing about a, a finished portfolio and nice pieces to, yeah. uh, to ideas that 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 solve real problems yeah there's two that i can think of right away that i've just seen recently in the last week maybe two weeks tops um the vertical television oh yes the rotating yes. television yes yes yeah I'm like, that, just, uh... that, just, that just encourages antisocial behavior which which is shooting shooting video in portrait and that yes. should just be yeah. that should just be banned you know well, well thank you i appreciate your appreciation of that one and, and the other one is um the segway chair Oh, yes. Yeah. And I yeah. thought to myself, well, okay, this might be a great thing for people who are impaired and have to use a wheelchair as a means. Don't they already have a wheelchair? Yes. And and they have a <laughs> mechanical wheelchair. So, yeah. you know, so, uh, I'm sure there's hundreds of people listening to the podcast that are that are going to say, but wait a minute, and, yeah. and defend, uh, which is fine. Uh, but yeah, I understand where you're coming from with, with that. Um, but, but, but what they haven't done, so I, I had the same thought, but, but what they haven't done is invented the gadget that gets them from their current wheelchair into the new wheelchair. Sure. You know, so if, if people are impaired in such a way that they need uh, this, this electronic device, uh, they probably already have a, a pretty useful device. You know, so it's, how, how do we make that better? Or even more important is how do we, and this is the, the thing about human-centered design, is how do we remove the obstacles that cause people to need to have to sit in wheelchairs all the time? It's, you know, if, if there's this thing about social disability, the social model of disability, that it's, it's the way we design the world that disables people. It's not the physical impairments that they have. Mm. So we need to put ramps down because we keep designing buildings with steps. So why not just stop designing buildings with steps? Right. And, 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 but instead, we invest all our time and energy in designing new ways to get up steps. That's, yeah. that's, that's the sort of thinking that I'm trying to encourage in, yeah. in students on, on, on this program. I love that. I really do. Um, so you actually then, it, like in 2013, as I'm looking at my notes really quick, went into management, you know, <laughs> yeah. a five-year plan. <laughs> Um, uh, yes. director of teaching and learning, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, I don't know how many job interviews you've ever had, but there's, there's often that question about where do you see yourself in five years time? And that's <laughs> the most difficult question to answer. Cause I, 
if, if ever I pick a point in my career and think back five years, I never saw myself doing what I ended up doing because opportunities arise. Um, yes, yeah. my, fir- my first program leadership was, was because the person who previously had the job uh, became very ill and, and disappeared uh, very suddenly. And you can't plan for things like that. And you sort of plunged into it. But then there came a point where I just, I, I, I think I got a little bit burned out by the teaching. I'd, I'd helped to mastermind a, a, a brilliant plan for, you know, redeveloping the curriculum at the university. And it just completely tired me out, which meant that oh, yeah. it, it worked brilliantly, but I just didn't enjoy it at all. I was just a wreck. So I thought, okay, what else do I enjoy doing? And I enjoy developing teaching and learning. I enjoy the pedagogy of it. Um, and I'd been involved in a research project which was uh, very much focused on that. It was about rethinking assessment. And I just got a real buzz out of it, and I thought, okay, let's try this for a bit. Um, but also at the same time, I was, I was be- beginning to get very critical of the way that universities are managed. And, and I noticed everyone else was, was critical as well. And I thought, well, if we think we can do better, then maybe we should give it a go. So I thought, five years, let's, let's try doing some management. Uh, so I did three years at uh, Cambridge, um, and then two years as a deputy head of school at a university in Cardiff. Not Cardiff University, University of South Wales. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was interesting, shall we say. Yes, I, I've always wondered... Um, will I always stay on the teaching side of things or will I join administrative roles? Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really enjoy designing curriculum and thinking yes. about yes. what's the, what's the right material, you know, for whatever it, it, it might be, you know, every yeah. class yeah. has yeah. its own challenges. Yeah. How, what's the four year plan? What's the one year plan? What's the one uh-huh. week plan kind of stuff. Yeah. I really yeah. enjoy that. Whether or not I want to, you know, dive into that management or um, administrative roles, mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. It keeps it keeps rearing its head and reminding yeah. me about it. But well, I, I suppose it's one of those things about the, the 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 people who think the way you've just expressed it are probably the, the people that should do it. <laughs> see what I mean? There it is again, rearing its head, saying, "It's cause, hello." Because yeah. the people the people that often end up doing it. Uh, uh, aren't necessarily the right people. I'm, I'm thinking of some certain world leaders at the moment who have sort of um, en- ended up where where they think they should be, mm-hmm. and uh, really they, they probably shouldn't be. Yes, and academia is not much different in, in that sense. So, uh, well, I mean, one of the things I discovered as as a, as a manager was that it's not easy being a manager, and I suddenly. I learned an awful lot about what it's like to, to be a manager. So even though I was in a fairly senior position, I was still encountering the same sort of uh, nonsense that, that I was encountering lower down. And I did my best to try and protect people from some of the <laughs> crazier decisions, but sometimes you just have to decide yeah. what, what, what am I going to care about, what am I not going to care about. But having said that, I did achieve uh, some really interesting things. I was involved in a fantastic project at Cambridge where the client was quite literally the queen, uh, but wonderful. But but it wasn't it wasn't the prestige of it um, that that is important. It's the fact that we were helping young uh, social entrepreneurs from around the the Commonwealth, so from around the world, who who were engaged in really exciting but also quite uh, life changing 
project. And it was when I got involved in that, I started thinking, okay, I, I want to do something more like this. I want to do something which mm. isn't sitting in committees all the time and arguing politics, institutional politics. And so uh, I thought the time came to move on to phase two of the plan. So I, I went from the Russell Group, which is like our equivalent of the Ivy League. I went from a, a, an Ivy League university to one, uh, which is more like, it isn't, but it's more like a community college, I think, um, in, in prestige terms, to mm. see what, what life was like at the other end of the scale. And so you start to encounter very, very different problems, but with some very, very talented people uh, who were in a very difficult situation and are maybe frustrated by the situation. Um, and that's what sort of got me started on the, the topic of my PhD uh, research, which, which is looking at how universities can, can support or hinder the creativity of academics in doing things like you're talking about designing curricula and things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, this podcast seems almost premeditated because that's where I was going to uh, take the conversation to next. Right. So okay. yeah. that, that PhD thesis then is, I think, what a lot of the listeners of the podcast want to hear some information about, right? Yeah, sure. Most, the, the majority of the listeners, now they're students, there's uh, graduates, mm-hmm. there's professionals, but mostly mm-hmm. we're design educators um, that are tuned into the podcast. Yeah, yeah. The PhD thesis, how universities encourage or limit creativity among mm-hmm. academics. So here we are back to that theme of season two, creativity, yeah, yeah. design thinking. So what uh, what do you have to say about that? Now, before you before you speak, I will say that I did have some difficulties in the past at uh-huh. a different university than what I'm at now. Um, that was really encouraging my creativity, but incredibly, mm-hmm. it came down to it was more limiting than um, than anything else. It was yeah. a lot of here's what I would like to do as an educator, as a designer, mm. as a, a creative thinker. Mm. Oh no, 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 don't do that. Here's yeah. what you, here's what you should do. Right. Yeah, and this, this equals what we think is good. This doesn't, Yeah, it's not uncommon. Almost all design educators are going to face that. Yeah. I, Your turn. I, I, <laughs> right. And, well, it, and it's not just design educators either. It's, it, it goes across all disciplines. And the, yes. and the research I've been doing, I've been interviewing uh, academics from a range of disciplines and in, and in different universities because uh, I've worked in, in several universities around the UK and each one has its own culture. Uh, each one has its own approach to various things. So some approach things in a very official way with lots of forms and processes to do things where in another place it was very easy. So to give to give a very simple example, uh, one university I worked in, uh, if you wanted any post-it notes or pens or anything like that, you literally had to be escorted to the stationery cupboard uh, and, and okay. have it un- have it unlocked for you. And, okay. and you and you were escorted into the stationery cupboard to, to get the stationery you wanted. Whereas in everywhere everywhere else I worked, it was like this. There was just this cupboard, and you went and got what you needed uh, at, at the time. And I and I thought, okay, this is symptomatic of 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 a culture. And I discovered this like on my second day at the, in the job. And I thought, what have I done? What have I done? Um, <laughs> if, if that's the culture I've walked into. Um, so yeah, institutions have different cultures. They all yeah. they all generally uh, operate to the same same rules. So how is it that that universities operating to the same general rules can have these very different outcomes? 
And when I moved from, say, Dundee to Cambridge, I was frustrated because at Dundee, I think I had a reputation as being quite a creative academic. And I, I did interesting things and, and got really good student feedback and stuff like that. But then I mm-hmm. went to Cambridge and suddenly it was like, I, I just, I can't do anything. I can't get anything done. Is it me? And I thought it was me. And then I started realizing, no, it's the, it's the environment, the culture. And yet the university is renowned as being a very re- creative university. The research that goes on there is, is literally world-changing, you know? Exactly, um, yep. So, so how can those two worlds coexist? Um, so lots of these, these questions were sort of brewing up in my mind, and I was thinking, what, what, you know, what is it that stops people being creative? What, what is it that stops people realizing their potential? And I thought I knew what the answers were, and the literature suggested certain things but the actual research itself has started to 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 suggest uh other things and and one of the key things being that actually the the biggest limitation on creativity is not management and it's not the management culture it's academics themselves it's the community of academics that, that that people operate within these domains so a domain is like a discipline uh, and a domain is marked by its own rules, its own regulations, its own conventions. And um, that can be a big limit on people trying to do things differently. Because if someone tries to rock the boat, uh, then you soon find out that you shouldn't be doing the things you're doing. And, and this is as true in, in any discipline as any other. So to give a good example, so I said earlier that I, I didn't go to art school, I didn't go to university. So when I first started teaching, I was shown how we assessed, for example. And when they explained it to me, I just wanted to say, why on earth do you do it like that? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Why right. do you do it like that? And I was shown this is how we teach. And so there are things like crits and, and whatever. And this is the curriculum. This is what, this is what we teach. And and I was very naturally sort of saying, oh, I don't understand why you're doing it like this. Can you explain why it's done like this? And the answer was always, you know, this has always been done like this. This is how I was taught. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm one of those people that when someone says something like, oh, students have to be shown how to do such and such, I, I naturally question it because I, I can think of lots of counterexamples where that's not happened and the world hasn't stopped turning. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I found interviewing academics, uh, creative academics, uh, was that they all seem to exist outside their core domain. So I was, I was working with, talking to um, uh, an educator from medicine who is very interested in social medicine, so prevention of, of disease and illness, working with people to fix their diet to prevent them becoming obese or diabetic or, or whatever, or prevent unwanted pregnancies. Um, but within medical education, the sexy uh, bit of, of that is what you see on things like Grey's Anatomy. It's 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 going in there and <laughs> and, and ripping bits of bodies out and and transplanting organs and saving people's lives at the last minute and that sort of thing. Um, and and most of the academics that she was working with are practicing surgeons. They they literally teach the way they were taught. She was explaining that she, she was a student in the institution she's currently working at, and then she went somewhere else, and she came back to, to teach there, and she sat in someone's lecture, and it was literally the same lecture as 20 years previously, including the dates on the slides were the same as the date that she sat in the same lecture. It's like, things not advanced? Has our thinking not advanced? Yeah. Um, so, so, so creativity seems to stem from a sense of, 
dislocation uh, from the norm, from the domain, and a dissatisfaction with the way things are done. Uh, and people either operate under the radar if they can, or it turns out they're just allowed to do it because no one cares what it is they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's quite a, it, it's a more depressing picture than I had hoped. There are things that management can do better. There's, there's a lot of universities don't have a culture of creativity. There's no time to experiment. There's no encouragement for experimentation. We live in a time when students are paying high fees. I mean, here mm -hmm. it's nothing, nothing like it is in the States. Um, but the moment someone starts paying fees, the idea is you have to deliver what you said you were going to deliver, which mm -hmm. removes a huge creative potential from academics to change the curriculum to suit the changing situation um so you know there's there's a, a huge pull from a lot of students to deliver what we said we were going to deliver instead of trusting the expertise of the people teaching um to know what they're doing and to and to make the right choices um so yeah that, i mean that, that that's, that's just two two aspects of i think eight or nine sort, sort of um findings that i've come up with from the research yeah uh um, so in, in, this is something that I have, uh, encountered myself. Um, I have taught in my 11 years, uh, between adjunct lecturer visiting and, uh, to assistant. And I'm uh, very close to approaching, uh, submitting my application for a uh, full professor or not full professor associate, um, yeah, yeah, associate. Yeah. And, um, so in, in my venture, I've um, worked at several universities, not because um, I didn't have a home there, but I was very aggressive towards moving to that next level. And a lot of times when you come into a university, you know, as a lecturer, most of the time, that's the position they wanted to fill. So you'll stay there for a while before yeah. an opening comes up. So I was, you know, go, going through the... Um, going through the, the, the hoops, if you will, to work mm -hmm. my way to, um, that full tenure position. Anyhow, yeah. Yeah. um, I had some really great universities, uh, that I taught at RIT, um, Buffalo state, um, mm -hmm. often gets confused with the university of Buffalo, but mm -hmm. a, uh, uh, a SUNY school in New York state, right. um, state university of New York. And, yeah. um, I've taught at uh, Shepherd University in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, my first assistant teaching position, I had a choice between uh, working for Penn State or working for Purdue, mm -hmm. both really great, uh, mm -hmm. great names. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I went from the prestigious universities as those to, like you said, um, uh, one that's not really as well known yeah. which is the University yeah. of Central Arkansas, which is where I am now. Right. The amazing difference between all those universities, I'm very, very happy where I am now. Mm -hmm. um, but as we're, as we're moving through that process, and you've been through it yourself, as you, as you said, through many different universities. Mm -hmm. And I think for young faculty members that are just starting out, that's the biggest challenge, right? Mm -hmm. That they don't, get pulled into a university for prestige. They don't get pulled into a university because, wow, I really liked those people I interviewed with or whatever it might be. Mm, mm, mm. How do we find that university that is going to encourage 
our creativity. Cause it's, it's mm. in, I will say where I'm at now, there is uh typography is kind of my, my main thing. I really love type. And I also, mm. Mm. um, know that's very different from anyone, um, in my, in my area. And I was very concerned coming in. It's like, boy, are they going to encourage me to continue that? Mm. So anyhow, long story short, uh, I digress. Um, how, how do young faculty or young by their, their time in the career Mm. kind of watch, watch for this, you know, um, it's definitely a, a big, big problem. You don't know Mm. what you're getting into, you know? No. And, um, and the reasons why people choose to, to work at certain places uh, can vary. I mean, uh, the, the prelude to this research, I interviewed a postdoc at the University of Cambridge in the computing department. And um, you would think doing, doing a postdoc, um, so that's post, postdoctoral, I don't know if the jargon translates, um, mm-hmm. at, at the University of Cambridge, you would think that that was a huge bonus on your CV, but she was finding it really difficult to get, to get jobs as a, as a, uh, as a lecturer. Um, and the, the reason being that the rules at Cambridge meant that if you were a postdoc, you couldn't teach undergraduates oh, wow. <laughs> and, and all the job adverts <laughs> required teaching experience. Um, and you know, so, so, so the rules of the place, uh, prevented people moving up the ladder. But then, of course, if you think about this from a sociological theory perspective, so you look at it through the sociological lens, uh, well, that's what field theory tells you uh, will happen, is that the people at the top of the ladder have no incentive to help people climb the ladder from the bottom. And if, if you want people to join you at the top, you set out a set of criteria that they must meet. Mm-hmm. So so questioning the way that they teach or the curriculum or the, the theories that they, they, they want to push is not the way to advance up that ladder. So a lot of people end up working in a completely different university simply because they, they can build a new reputation. They, can, they, 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 don't, they don't have that sort of lead weight around the necks of a reputation that they've got from their old place by questioning the orthodoxy. Uh, but questioning orthodoxy is the key to, to being creative. You've got to ask those yeah. awkward questions. Why do we do it like that? Yeah. yeah. Are, are there are there a set of questions that we can take to as as we move around and look at another teaching opportunity? Are, are there questions we should be asking? Do you think? Um, that's tricky. I I think when people are looking for a new stage in their career, they have to ask what makes them happy, and um it, it turned out that what made me happy when I went from Cambridge to South Wales was I realized I wasn't as involved in in teaching as I wanted to be, and I wasn't involved as involved in in transforming people's understanding and, and, and lives. I mean that's that's a really sort of big headed way of putting it, but I think that's what we do as I would like to be. And it, it was that experience with the Queen's Young Leaders um uh, project that really made me re- remember what it was that got me into education in the first place. Um, and so I wasn't bothered about the, I think some of my colleagues were quite amazed that I was going from the number one, number two university in the UK to sort of like number 100 and something or other. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, it's not about prestige. It's about, it's about what impact you could have. And 
um, you, you know that that and and that's what guided me when I applied for the for the for the current role because it just yeah. ticked all the right boxes in terms of what it is that I want to do with with my life and what I want to help other people do with their lives. Um, yeah. So go, yeah, that go explains some, where I'm at. Yeah. Same, yeah. Yeah. Go, same go, for me. Yeah, and and there's um, so Teresa Amabile is one of the key sort of research into creativity um, at uh, at the moment, and will be for a long time, I think. But she she started talking about this concept of meaningful work. Uh, there's a she brought a book out quite recently, I think, uh, and did a, did a Google talk on meaningful work. And meaningful work is is exactly what you you imagine it it means is that if if you think you are doing something worthwhile, you're probably going to be more satisfied in your job and you're probably going to be more creative. Mm-hmm. So right, so right. don't don't chase don't chase the prestige uh, because you could have a fantastic Ivy uh, League university on your CV but have nothing to show for it, and yeah. and and you're just going to turn into one of those boring teachers. That, that is is upset and angry with yeah. the world, and what you want to be is one of those people who is, yeah. is gets up really early because they just want to get started. Um, so yeah, look look for those opportunities that, that, yeah. that are, are for for meaningful work. I would say. Have you have you discovered anything on how this uh, translates or affects the students? Um, you know what what do the students see from this? Advantages, disadvantages. Um, I mean, the, the sort of pitch we have for our program is that this is for students who, who think the world is broken and, and want to do something about it. And so they come intrinsically motivated. So again, the intrinsic motivation is a key uh, component of creativity. If you're told to do something and you're not invested in it, then you're not going to be creative. So if, if, if a graphic design student isn't really very interested in typography, they're never going to produce great typography. Not, or they, they might produce technically great typography, but it's not going to be uh, you know, mind-blowing or, 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 or pleasing to anybody. Um, but if they have a, an intrinsic interest in it, they see the, the point of it, they see uh, the application of it, then they're probably going to be more creative, more experimental, and, and take risks and, and explore more. Um, so the students we recruit one of the questions we'll ask at the interview is, you know, what, what do you want to do with this uh, program? What, what sort of problems are you wanting to, to tackle? And, and, and at, at interview, we interview most students via Skype because they're international applicants, the vast majority of them. And we all do it differently, but I very rarely talk about their work that they've done at undergraduate level because I'm not so much interested in what they've done. I'm interested in what they might do. And so I, I'm interested yeah. in them as a person and, and what motivates them. Because if they come with an idea about what they want to achieve, what they want to fix, what they want to understand more deeply, then they're probably going to be more open to the idea of doing a program where you don't know what you're going to be doing from day to day. You know, we do plan it. There is a schedule to the, to the program, but we're ready to drop the schedule or change it at the last minute to, 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 to suit interesting ideas and conversations that come up. Yeah. So, an innovation is all about uncertainty. Creativity is about uncertainty. It's about embracing uncertainty and taking risks and and being okay when things don't work. Um, so that's that's what we're sort of looking for. So, because we recruit that type of student, uh, I think it, it's not entirely comfortable for everybody. But I think they're they're more willing to accept uh, a creative approach to to teaching. And, and that's one of the fundamental questions that started the whole research for me was uh, you, we're all under pressure to, to produce creative graduates. 
whether you're in the creative industries or not. Uh, every right. sector requires creativity, and it's the number one requirement from employers and things like that. And the question I was always asking was, how can we, how can we develop creativity in our students if we're not allowed to be creative ourselves? Um, so I, I think most students take to it very quickly. They get what it is we're trying to do. But a lot come from an undergraduate discipline or approach, which is very regimented. Um, where the timetable is very clearly set, the curriculum is very clearly mm -hmm. set. They know yeah. they know from day one what projects they're going to be doing, and the project briefs might be quite tight in terms of what to produce, how many how many sketchbooks or how many sketches or how many prototypes or whatever. We do projects where it might just be a single word, and off you go, <laughs> and and that can be quite That's terrifying great. if uh, if you come from a, a a more regimented approach. But it does open up the creative floodgates. It requires support, and that's what <laughs> most of our teaching is. I think is is supporting rather than teaching. We're not we're not we're not projecting knowledge into these empty vessels. We're supporting people in exploring something. So we're the we're the guides on the side, not the sage on the stage. That's excellent. I think uh, I would say my colleague and I have a very uh, similar approach. But being undergraduate, you know, you've always got to go through those. Uh, I. I, I don't know what to call them, but the procedures of here's process, here's thinking, here's experimentation, but also leaving it open enough to explore. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, going back to that earlier point about design thinking and, and why I think people may have an issue with it is that I don't think it's the intention, but it, but it, it tends to get seen as a set of instructions and algorithmic approaches to creativity do not work. Uh, no. and, and, uh, but unfortunately, uh, we're bombarded with these models of the creative process, which are abstract models and you can look at them and think, yeah, that, that, that's, that's pretty much correct, but it isn't a set of instructions because the, because the, the actual reality is much more messy than that. And you might be doing your research at the same time as you're producing your prototypes and your prototypes are research. And, you know, so you, so you don't say let's spend two weeks in the library and then two weeks sketching and then two weeks, you know, finishing off the, the work, right. it, it yeah. all, it all merges into one and one group can, and all our projects are group based. One group can be doing something at a very, be at a very different stage for another group and that's okay. That's fine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I definitely yeah, they, do that same reassurance in my classes. Uh, and, and that's definitely my approach. So I, I do appreciate hearing that as well. Didn't mean to, uh, stop you there mid, mid thought. I know. Well, I've forgotten what I was thinking about now, so that's 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 fine. This, this, <laughs> this, this is this is how I teach as well. Is that yeah. I'll, be, I'll suddenly stop my thought because <laughs> a more interesting thought has occurred to me. That's perfect. You're my doppelganger then in Scotland. How's that? <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. But but I you you're spot on in my opinion. Um, hmm. I it and it can drive some of my students um, uh, to a stress level because I give them an assignment and there's no schedule on there. Uh, right. There's no due date on there. They're like, when is this right. due? I'm like, well, I'm thinking it'll be due in about three weeks, but we'll see how it goes. So, uh, so, so, this, you know. so the thing is, though, is, is do, do we see that as a criticism of the students or is that because the, the, the system they've gone through encourages them to see that? And Exactly, uh, yes. This is, this is another one of the key frustrations. Is, you know, when I was doing the literature review for this, I was revisiting educational policy in the UK over the past 40, 50 years. And... It's marked by a contradiction, which is um, saying that schools must produce more creative students. 
and here's the 150 rules for how you do it and how you measure it. <laughs> Very contradicting, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, that's not how it works. Yeah. And, and we value the wrong things. We value things we can count. And mm. you, you, can't, you can't measure a qualitative uh, concept, a qualitative thing, quantitative thing. Exactly. And, yeah. you, you know, so, so, and, and that's one of my issues with some of the research that's been done into creativity is because a lot of it's done by psychologists. And psychologists love to count anything. If they can't count it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll do research where they're counting the number of ideas someone has. Or, or the, the, the length of time it takes to have an idea. And, and those, aren't, those aren't things that, that really count in creativity. And that's one of the differences between creativity and innovation is that you know, creativity is intangible. Innovation is, is something you can count. And that's why people value it, because they can say, uh, we spent X uh, thousand pounds or dollars or whatever on developing this idea and we have sold a million of them and we've made this much money back that is the return on investment right. that's 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 how innovation is often seen as it's a return on investment creativity is often seen as a, a waste of time or something unpredictable and and you know you don't want to pay people to sit in a room staring out the window all the day uh you want them to be productive and then <laughs> it's like well that, being creative is being productive it's just you never know when the productivity yeah. is going to to snap into existence. No, exactly. Yep. And, and um, it, not to get too far down another uh, another path, but um, I have seen moments where the faculty are having a discussion on whether or not someone should continue in the program mm-hmm. by the assessment of where they are, let's say, yes. in their yeah. late sophomore year. But then I've seen students that have been through that or in similar situations where in their senior year it's it's just a a miraculous difference because it doesn't happen on a schedule yeah no um education is a longitudinal thing and i get i get emails from students i've taught years ago uh i remember one tweet quite recently from someone who said oh you remember that thing you taught us this was in brighton this is like 15 16 years ago that thing you taught us and you, you told us one day this will come in useful. <laughs> yeah. Well, today it came in useful. And you think, great, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. Um, yeah. I, you know, so, yeah. so you, you're sort of, it's an investment. Uh, it's the investment theory of education that, that mm-hmm. it isn't about quick returns. And in the UK, universities are judged on uh, the, employ, the employment levels of students six months after graduation and the amount of money they're earning. Yeah. which is a crazy metric because uh, if I think about the most successful graduates who, that I've taught over the years, a lot of them have achieved success after lots of experimentation, lots of taking a pause, lots of trying things out, lots of doing quite low-level, low-paid work, uh, but finding their, their, their thing, their passion. Um, and then, yeah. and then the, the measure of success shouldn't be how much money they're making. It should be, you know, are they yeah. happy? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yes. and and you can't count you can't count that. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's um, I can't remember what, where we started on this, but oh, that's all right. Uh, yeah, we're we're, we're moving uh, through it as as yeah, we need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, l- let me ask you this then, uh, as I'm uh, getting a quick glimpse at the clock and trying to mm-hmm. watch um, watch our length of time we have left. How about some words of advice? And I'm going to make it two prong. Words of advice 
to design educators as mm-hmm. we face creativity mm-hmm. limits and encouragement um, and students as mm-hmm. they approach this idea of how to think like a designer, design thinking, creativity. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, take your own advice. So this is, this is for the educators out there. Uh, if we say to students, be prepared to rip everything up and start again, why don't we do that? And I, I gave a, a keynote a few years ago um, to, to the Graphic Design Educators Network in the UK. Um, and the point I made was, um, I just read um, the Marie Kondo book, you know, the, the magical something of tidying up or whatever. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and the, the principle there is you go through your house and you get all the books and all the clothes and everything out on the floor and you only keep the things that bring you joy and you get rid of everything else. And I was saying, well, what if we did this to the curriculum? And I think we tend to hang on to things and accumulate stuff. And because, because we value it, because we like mm. it or because we were taught like that. And I think we need to be prepared to be creative and start from a blank sheet of paper. Um, so be prepared to take risks, be prepared to experiment, do all the things that you tell your students to do. Because if you're still showing slides from 20 years ago, you are not <laughs> practicing, practicing what you preach. Um, I would say to students, um, is think about the human factor in design. Don't think about the user. Don't think about the person. Think about humanity. Think, ask big questions about things. Question everything. Um, I'd also say trust your, trust your teachers. Uh, it, it annoys the hell out of me when, um, I probably shouldn't say this because this is going to go public, but <laughs> <laughs> when, when someone, someone comes to me and says, um, we should be taught this, and uh, not that and i'm thinking i've been doing this 20 years and i've been work, working for 30 years do you know what i'm doing and i've got this big long list of graduates who are doing very well thank you i always take advice on on board because i i think maybe i'm not selling this right maybe i'm not pitching this right but um the vast majority of people who teach do it because they they believe in in the students they believe in the subject they believe in in the things that they're doing and it may not appear it, but they sort of do know what they're doing. <laughs> Don't always know what they're doing. Yeah. But they do know what they're doing. We, we are human. We make mistakes. But we're doing it with the best will in the world. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, and, and then maybe the final point. I mean, I've got lots of things I'd, I'd love to say. But um, the final point is don't treat students like customers. And, and students don't act like customers. Thank you. We're, yeah. we're, we're all members of, we're a, we're a community. Universities were originally established as communities of scholars. And you'd have senior scholars, you'd have junior scholars, the junior scholars being what we now call students. But you were all members of that community. You all ate together. You all, uh, you know, you, you, you prayed together, you studied together, you read together. Um, being at university is like being a member of a gym. I've got a, a friend, a former, former student of mine, who hates this analogy, but it's like you're a member of a gym, you get out what you put in. Mm-hmm. Having the membership card does not make you fit. And, and you, you need to go and use the facilities. You won't always be with an expert. You won't always be with the personal trainer. You, 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 you go there when you need to go there. Um, so, yeah, don't, don't treat students like customers. 
students shouldn't act like customers. You're all part of a community. We're all adults. Let's let's respect each other and treat each other like adults. You get a lot more out of it in that way. Yeah. Some some of my closest friends are former students. Yeah, and and yeah. I, and I I think it that's uh, that that's a really good thing. The number of weddings of former students I've been to is is astounding. I, I just I just I just love the sense of community that comes from being a teacher, uh, and working anywhere where that is 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 diminished. Uh, is not somewhere I, I, I want to work. I agree completely. Um, that was uh, that, w- that was really great advice from from all <laughs> through that. Um, and I will um, also support that. Um, even though it may seem like it's uh, like the the faculty member is is not teaching where they should be or anything mm-hmm. like that, just have faith and trust within that. Um, mm-hmm. like you said, you get that phone call or that email that says, Hey, oh my gosh, that makes sense. You know, um, mm-hmm. I've had that mm-hmm. happen so many more times than, than not. Yeah. Um, yeah. if it, it's an adventure, it's, uh, an amazing time, um, in everyone's life that's going through that community for the scholars and for the, uh, the, the students at hand that are learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so just keep that fresh perspective as much as you can it's it's a daunting process today it's not the same as it was as you said when universities were first established yeah but and, um, and, well another piece of advice i, yeah, I would just yeah. i would just end on maybe is that um in years to come remember what it was like to be you uh <laughs> you know so so when when students have graduated and they're going off and being successful you know pay back pay something back go and go and teach uh, at, a, at, a, at a local college, um, go and give a talk for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, offer someone some work experience. Offer someone some advice. Yeah, take people for coffee and talk to them about your experiences. Yeah. Host a so, workshop for those who haven't uh, experienced. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, just just remain a part of that community because it's a yeah. lifelong community. The the, the after sales care you get. Uh, from from if you if you invest wisely in this community is fantastic, but you can be part of that too. Yeah. So so be don't don't graduate and then disappear. Uh, stay active. Stay stay involved. Definitely. Which is why I think I'm an educator today. I just love that mm. love that bond that comes along with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jonathan, I've had a great conversation. Yeah, uh, I've enjoyed I, it. I know that. And I say this at the end of every podcast, but yeah, it's the truth. I could continue that conversation um, for another hour longer. There's plenty of things that we haven't even touched on that Mm -hmm. uh, I had in mind that we'd have an opportunity to talk about. I'm sure Mm -hmm. it's the same uh, from your end. When the opportunity comes up, let's have you join us again and talk a little bit more. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Wow. Wow. That you left us with a lot to think about, a lot well, look, to think I, about. I, I, you know, you're always welcome in in Glasgow, uh, and and listeners too, if they want to get in touch and talk about any of this, uh, I'm I'm more than up for it. Um, and if I can do a quick plug, we are open for applications for our master's program. So if you if you've got students that you think you quite like the way they're doing stuff over there, uh, do do get in touch. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. Uh, if good, I didn't have good. a master's, I'd Run, I'd run over there. Uh, what's another one, right? Let's just yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We can always, you can always do a second one. 
Fantastic. How can people get a hold of you? By the way, I will put some links in the show notes and, yeah, and et cetera. Uh, um, they, can, they can tweet me. I'm trying to stay off Twitter at the moment uh, quite successfully, but they can tweet me. They can email me uh, at my GSA uh, accounts. It's j.baldwin at gsa.ac.uk. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, there's, there's, I'm, I'm not hiding. Uh, Fantastic. You, and they can you, even you want to find me, you can find me. Great. And they can even find links then, uh, to the Glasgow school of art. I'll put some information yeah. in the links as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and, and I've got a huge bunch of really talented, really dedicated colleagues. So if you don't want to talk to me. There's plenty of, other people, <laughs> plenty of other more, more interesting and more sane people, uh, that they can talk to. As well. Fantastic. I think you're perfectly sane in my crazy eyes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you bet. Thanks so much for the conversation, Jonathan. We'll hope to talk with you again really soon. Great. Thank you. All right. You bet. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found at designdedux.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com, where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms, you can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore deduct on Facebook as design deducts podcast and join us on YouTube at design deducts for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore deducts. Once again, thanks for joining us and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.